1: Everybody, welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Seth Gillahan. He is a clinical assistant professor of psychology in the psychiatric department at the University of Pennsylvania. We're discussing his most recent book, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Made Simple. Seth, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Rebecca. It's great to be here.
1: So, what what inspired you to write this book?
2: You know the 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 book I'd written before, Retrain Your Brain, was a, a workbook, so it was it was focused on ways to treat depression and anxiety within a a, a pretty structured seven week format. And so, so there there are a couple aspects of that that I wanted to uh, kind of add to in a subsequent book. One is we had thought about including a mindfulness component in that one but just because of the space limitations, we weren't able to really do it justice, so we didn't include it really besides, I think, mentioning it, um, and, and the other part was we wanted something for people to use who didn't necessarily need to go through the whole, whole workbook, the whole seven-week program, and instead might want a, a resource they could come back to, They could kind of sample from the chapters that were most relevant, and so I, I got to address both of those things in this book, and the publisher was very interested in a, in a follow-up to retrain your brain, because uh, the book had, had had a good reception and, and was doing well, and so, so those things kind of came together, and, and I also got to expand what we were, what we were focusing on a little bit, too, to, to also include anger, which I really hadn't addressed in the, in the previous book, so, so I was really happy to have the, the chance to uh, bring those, those different threads together in this more recent book.
1: So I, I think um, it might be important to know what cognitive behavioral therapy is so people can understand.
2: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, to some extent, the, the specific definition depends on who you're asking. But what people tend to agree on is that CBT, as, it, as, it, as it's also called, involves addressing the, the thoughts that we have and, and understanding what those thoughts are and how they affect our behaviors and our feelings, and addressing the, the behavior patterns that we have and, and the things that reinforce our behaviors and the outcomes of, of those behaviors and how behavior is related to thoughts and feelings. So you'll, you'll often see this kind of, this model of CBT, which examines the ways that our thoughts our feelings, our behaviors, all interact with each other and affect and are affected by each other. And it's a pretty simple model. It's pretty straightforward, and I think that that's what appeals to a lot of people about DBT is that it's a it's a pretty straightforward approach. It tends to be relatively uh, brief as as therapies go, and it it focuses generally on a, a pretty well defined problem or goal and, and the idea is to help a person move toward that goal as quickly as possible.
1: So, I know one thing that that is very traditional for us to think is that we can't change how we think or, or how we are, um, you know, that are, once we're set in our ways, I guess the old saying, you can't te- teach an old dog new tricks. Um, but what you're saying, of course, is that that's not the case. So, can you just uh, explain that for us a little bit?
2: Yes, it's a great question because that, that is often the assumption that, you know, we've We've seen ourselves or we've seen other people behave in you know, the same way or, or similar ways for a long time, and, and maybe we've made efforts to change and they haven't been successful. And so maybe we kind of throw in the towel on ourselves or on other people. We say, well, I guess people really can't change. And and there are parts of ourselves and tendencies that we'll, we'll probably always carry with us. But But one of the real benefits of CBT is recognizing... That, that there are factors that affect our behaviors and, and other patterns that we might not be aware of. And a lot of the work in CBT is, is in identifying what those patterns are because we're, we get conditioned in certain ways. You know, we might, we might always repeat a certain action and, and not understand the, the things that led to it, maybe the way that, that we're rewarded for doing that behavior, even though it doesn't seem to make any sense. And so, so by, by practicing things in a more systematic way, understanding our, our patterns and then coming up with, with a plan, often in collaboration with a therapist, we're, we're much more likely to be able to break those patterns and, and build new ones that are more effective and, and ones that we can keep practicing and, and strengthening long after a therapy is over.
1: So how is C B T cognitive behavioral therapy different from your traditional talk therapy where you would just go in and and you know, hash out what was going on?
2: Yeah, well it's got a lot of overlap in, in terms of, you know, ideally and I most of the time we're we're with you know, sitting with a, a supportive person who, who wants to be helpful to us and, and just that that human Connection and an outlet to discuss things can be really helpful and feeling understood and, and heard. Uh, all those things are a part of CBT. And then what what tends to distinguish it, although the, the boundaries seem to be blurring uh, to some extent, but it, it's gonna focus more than a lot of therapies on uh, doing work in between sessions. So it's often called homework. Uh, so practicing things that that are are talked about in session, there tends to be a lot of continuity from week to week. So if I'm working with someone in a, a pretty structured way in CBT, I may start the session by saying, "So last time we talked about this and this, um, and you plan to do these things. You know, how did things go this week? Uh, and and we'll review some of the homework together, and then you know, pick up the thread." from the week before. So I think the structure and the continuity and, and again the, the specific focus on thoughts and behaviors and on, on ways to start to shift those are what, are what distinguish CBT.
1: So um, can you just give us an example of what that would look like? Let's say just looking at the um, cover of your book and let's say I'm dealing with anxiety because you list a few things that um, this could deal with. I'm sure it can deal with more than what's listed here. But let's say I'm dealing with anxiety. Um, You talked in your book about social anxiety. So if I came in for a CBT uh, appointment, how would that get addressed?
2: Right, so... Let's say the person in the in the previous session had identified some of the, the common thoughts that tend to come up <laughs> in social situations and and some of the ways that they tended to react, like maybe they, they tend to withdraw socially or uh, tend to have certain ways of talking with people, like maybe they're always trying to keep in mind the next question they have so that the conversation doesn't all out in an awkward pause and so we would have worked in the previous session to shift some of those behaviors so maybe the, the person had planned with the therapist to you know, go to a party that they had thought of avoiding and while they were there to not just engage in conversation but to engage in a different way so I'm, I'm not going to stand in the corner, I'm not going to uh, keep my hands in my pockets the whole time I'm 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 going to let the conversation flow a little more freely instead of focusing on how I'm coming across and and trying to make sure that I I have uh, something to say, which actually ends up distracting me from from what's from what's actually happening in front of me. And so when the person comes back, we'll talk about you know so how did that party go? And I think that that expectation that we're going to review how things went, I think it tends to be one of the more helpful parts of the treatment because I think it's we, we all need to, I guess in some sense, a, a way to be accountable, you know that, that someone besides us is rooting for us and uh, is going to be asking us how things went. And a lot, of, a lot of people I meet with have told me, you know, I uh, wasn't planning to do this, but I knew you were going to ask me, and so, so I did it, and... and 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 person can get a lot of benefit from it for that reason. So so that's how it tends to look in in social anxiety. And uh, and of course, you know, in the process, we're going to talk about in general. You know, how did your week go? So if, if something really important happened that that wasn't uh, on the therapist's radar, we're going to give the person a chance to talk about that. And I mention that because I think some people have the idea that I'm going to be so as a patient, I'm going to be so kind of. Um, uh, Straitjacketed into this treatment, I'm not going to be able to talk about things that come up or emotions that I have unless it's just sort of you know, part of the, the carefully uh, restricted you know, recipe of, of treatment. And, and that's not the case, at least that's not the case in, in, in good CBT.
1: So um, you, you lay out in, in your book um, things that are important and, and how this works. So one thing you talk about is collaboration and participation. Can you tell us what that is?
2: Yes. Uh, one of the, the fundamental assumptions of CBT, and I don't know that it's unique in this way, but, but certainly is, is part of the, the guiding way of thinking about it, is that the, the therapist and the patient meet as equals. And that's not to say they have equal roles. Their roles are different, but the the person who's coming in is the expert on her life and knows uh, what's what's worked for her in the past and what hasn't worked so well. And she's the one who's going to be you know carrying on with whatever she practices after therapy is over. And so there really tends to be a, a spirit of collaboration. It's it's again when when done in, in what I think of as the right way, that it's not a, a top-down type of relationship. It's not something where the, the therapist has the answer and the, the patient's uh, job is to discover what it is, but instead to kind of mutually explore together. And, and uh, so if, I, if I'm asking a person about her thoughts about uh, a, a challenging event, that came up, I really want to know what her thoughts are and, and want to examine them together. And I don't know. I, I think people often assume that a, a CBT therapist is going to tell them that their, their thinking is wrong. And, in fact, that, that's usually not the case. There are good reasons why uh, we think what we think. Uh, but instead, we're just going to think together about whether there might be more adaptive ways uh, to, to think and to, to be... Um, in in a person's life.
1: Well, you know, from from what I understand of where these these core thoughts come from, that are causing us issues, often we don't even understand where they come from. They might have been something when we were quite young, or or a learned behavior from our parents that we didn't realize that we were learning and um, it, it must be very difficult to even recognize that that's what's in our way of, if, if it's normal to us, you know, if it's something that you grew up with, a behavior you grew up with, or, um, you know, someone telling you a certain thing, I, I can imagine um, that it's very difficult to even recognize.
2: Absolutely, Rebecca. That is such a, an important point because that's where a lot of the work is, is in is in understanding what our thoughts are. And, and as you suggest, a lot of times we won't know, we'll never know exactly where they come from. They may they may be ways of, of thinking that are sort of, I mean, as far as we can tell, in our DNA, they might be things we learned, uh, as you said, before uh, we were really able to, to lay down memories of those events and you know, just all the little things that we, we pick up on all the time. I mean, I think we're, we're being patterned in ways that we just don't, we don't realize. For example, I mean, I, I think of this as sort of a, a, a tangential example, but baby names, you know, I think parents often, I know for us, we, you know, you pick names of babies just thinking like, oh, this is a nice name. I like this name. And then you find out, wow, this name is actually pretty common. Like, I didn't think of it as a very common name, but it's gotten quite popular. And so we're, we're being affected in ways that we don't even realize, and so making those those kinds of, I guess we might say, unconscious um, effects more uh, more conscious for ourselves is a lot of where uh, as we're a lot of where we start. And then we can we can decide where we go from there once we have a, a, a clearer picture of how things are for us.
1: Um, you know, that, that definitely um, makes sense. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Seth Gillahan, and we're discussing his book, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Made Simple. And we'll be back shortly.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, and Thursdays,
4: Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Seth Gillahan. We're discussing his book, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. So, um, Seth, we, we talked about, you know, the uh, participation and recognizing um, the problems. But, I, you know, as I mentioned before, I think it's really difficult for people to recognize a problem. And I know it might be easier if you're in a session with somebody who, of course, is trained to see, okay, this is the thought pattern that might be causing you some distress. How can somebody do that just using your book?
2: So the the general idea is to pay attention to the times when uh, when our emotions shift uh, and maybe shift suddenly. So you know, a common example is you know you're walking down the street, you're feeling basically all right, kind of neutral, and then you, you see someone and. After after seeing the person, you don't feel quite as good. Maybe you feel a little uh, like just this, this is kind of uh, like the feeling something bad just happened. And so you know, if you if you identify that, you can think, all right, what just happened, and and what what went through my mind. So maybe we saw someone and said hi to them, and they didn't seem very enthusiastic to see us. And that in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean anything. But we want to go beyond or beneath that that surface level experience and ask ourselves ask ourselves well, what did we make of that what what story did we tell ourselves about what just happened and and maybe we told ourselves like yeah they're not very happy to see me or oh, they're wondering why I haven't responded to their email yet or or whatever but maybe we make some kind of automatic negative interpretation and so we just want to pay attention to those types of things because that's going to be the start of our discovery of what these patterns are, and then will put us in a place where we can start to modify those patterns.
1: So, um, and of course, this is what you you have laid out in your book, and um, one of the next things that, that you talk about is, is emphasizing the present. So can you just explain what that means?
2: Yes. So, you know, some therapies tend to be more tend to, to focus more on excavating from the past and, and trying to understand what a person is dealing with now by kind of digging through uh, past events, maybe quite remote events from early in a person's childhood, and then there can certainly be uh, a lot of value in doing that. CBT uh, is much more likely to focus on what's happening now. I, I think for the simple reason that that's where we're, we tend to have the most, uh, most, most leverage in, in making quick changes, making uh, making the, the kinds of changes that often bring a person in for therapy. So it's not that we ignore the past or, or think of the past as not at all important. I think quite, you know, quite uh, uh, the contrary. We can understand sometimes where our, our deepest thoughts and beliefs and, and behaviors come from by understanding the past, but we don't tend to stay there. We don't expect that just by identifying and, and recognizing those historical uh, influences, that that's going to change things necessarily in the present. So That's why we tend to have a, a present-oriented approach in, in CBT.
1: Well, I just, um, you know, understanding what I know about neuroplasticity, which is a lot of what you're working with is just changing the brain patterns. I've often wondered, and I don't know if I'm right, so I'm going to ask you, if um, sometimes bringing up the past over and over in therapies is actually um, resetting w- what was created when when an event or whatever happened, instead of moving forward to change it.
2: Uh. Well, yes, it's, a, it's a, great, a great question, a great, uh, I, I think, a, a, I, I would agree to, to some extent, I think a lot of it depends. I, I think you're absolutely right, if we're just kind of going, going over things and, and not getting any kind of a, a shift in our understanding or our perspective, then yes, we might just be kind of, we might think of it as, as like spinning our tires and digging those ruts deeper and deeper and making it even harder to, to get ourselves unstuck. You know, when you started describing that, it made me think of what we do in CBT for for survivors of trauma, which is, you know, to revisit those most painful episodes, those traumatic events, but not just for the, the purpose of retelling them, but but to gain a, a different perspective on them, and and by having that kind of shift in our understanding of what happened and our relationship with it, that's where the change really comes in. So, so yeah, I think you're really on to something that it's, it's not enough just to, to recount things and talk about them. But I think, you know, whether it's in therapy or in, in talking with, with someone that's close to us that we trust, what we're really looking for is a shift in our story, a kind of change in the narrative that we tell ourselves about what's happened.
1: Okay, so um, I just want to see if I understand this properly. So let's say I experienced a trauma, say I had a car accident, and I have PTSD from this situation, and I'm scared to drive. You would revisit the situation and have me view it with with different thoughts or different emotions.
2: Yeah, no, that's a let me let me clarify because let's a, it's, a, it's it's an important uh, part of the treatment. So. So, a common form of CBT would would involve, you know, gradually helping a person to you know, to get back uh, behind a wheel and to get more comfortable driving again. The idea of kind of uh, you know, getting back in the saddle through retelling the the memory of what happened, of that traumatic event, and then and then talking about it, talking about the accident. Most likely, what's going to happen is that certain thoughts about the trauma are are going to come out that aren't they're not only not helpful to the person, but they're not accurate. So a person might have the, the belief about the accident that well this happened because I'm a terrible driver, or this happened because I'm an irresponsible person or I'm or I'm completely inept. And by talking about what actually happened and, and taking a close look at it, most of the time what we find is that those those thoughts don't really line up with what actually happened. And sometimes it's just enough for the person to, to really walk through the event and picture it and remember it to start to loosen up some of those beliefs and to question them themselves. Other times the therapist will have to kind of point their attention at things and say like, oh, okay, so you said that uh, you're, you're completely inept driver, so you, you've probably had a lot of accidents in your life. They you say, well, no, this was the, the first accident I've ever had. And so those, those kinds of questions can start to, uh, again, shift a person's beliefs. And those beliefs uh, are often what's maintaining the, uh, the difficult reactions after a trauma. And when they start to, to change in a more adaptive direction, then a person's PTSD will start to improve does so, that help? Does that clarify?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so. One thing that I know, um, of course, dealing with, with people who are well all the time. Um, I know that although you can walk people through that, there are some times where, where people can actually justify that situation. They'll maybe see what you're showing them, but then they can still justify, you know, no, it happened, So and, and they're just so set in that way. So how can you help somebody get past that barrier that they have?
2: Right, yes, good question. Well, and, and there may be times when a, maybe a person really is a bad driver and they've had a lot of accidents. And so, so we're never going to try to talk a person out of reality. We're not going to try to paint a rosier picture than is actually the case. Uh, I mean, there are times when people really have made the, the wrong decision. And so in that case, it's not going to be a matter so much of, of changing their belief about what happened, but, but it's changing the implications about it. The person might believe uh, I'm a terrible driver, and therefore, I am a worthless human being. Well, that's, that we can definitely question. Maybe the person really is not a good driver and needs to be much more careful, or maybe not drive at all in, in some uh, limited situations that I can imagine. But regardless of their driving ability, what does that say about their value as a human being? Well, well probably not much.
1: Yeah, we're, we're none of us perfect at, at anything, but I, yeah, you're, it is important. I, I understand where, where you're coming from. Um, we take those things, those mistakes we make or decisions, and and then we, we can blow those up. I think that's a very common human nature thing yeah. to do, to take it uh, very personally and make it about ourselves. And um, and, and then those um, the self-thoughts that, that we go into about who we are, which then, of course, can recreate the problem. So if you have anxiety about driving and you think you're worthless, you're going to then get, say, social anxiety as well and that's going to escalate from there because you haven't addressed the, that, that core feeling of what this has created or what was there before this happened.
2: Yes, that's right. And I think that's where true true compassion for ourselves comes in is not in denying our false limitations, but in recognizing them and embracing ourselves nonetheless.
1: Yeah, I, definitely I can, can see. So... Um, so with CBT, um, you do address those negative thoughts, and you've got um, uh, charts in your book of, of things that people can follow through. So can you just explain how you're getting people, especially as their homework, to assess those thoughts and recognize what they are and change them?
2: Yes. Yeah, and there's, there's certainly no shortage of, of forms in CBT. We really like to, to have people write things down, so it tends to be a, a form for pretty much everything. So with, with, with this kind of form, where we're taking a look at the thoughts, we want to identify what was the, the situation that, that triggered the, what we call, uh, automatic negative thoughts. So uh, the, the thought, you know, that I, like I mentioned earlier, I see someone, they don't seem that happy to see me, and so I think to myself, oh, they don't like me. That would be a, a negative automatic thought And once I've identified the situation and the thought, I want to uh, identify what I'm feeling. And, And just that sequence can be helpful to see, okay, this thing happened, I felt a certain way, but I didn't feel that way about the event itself. I felt that way because of this thought that came in between what happened and how I felt. And then from there, the second half of it is to start to question that thought. It may be exactly right. Maybe this person can't stand me. That'd be important information to have. But are there alternative explanations? Am I ignoring anything? Am I forgetting that this person has been sick or has a big interview that he's on the way to and so he's just not that, not that uh, present to really respond to me? So once we've identified the, how, how accurate our thought might be, based on evidence that supports it and evidence that doesn't support it and alternative explanations, then we want to come up with a, you know, any revision to that thought. Is there a more, a more uh, a realistic thought that might better match the situation? And you know, ideally one that I can actually buy into, at least to some extent. It doesn't have to completely uh, overshadow the initial thought, but hopefully it's at least something that, that seems plausible that I can start practicing as an alternative to those those negative automatic thoughts.
1: Well, and 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 so I, I just opened to the the page. Um, I hope I, I think I have the right page. It looks like the chart, and you've got what you call thinking errors. So. Um, you know the um, black and white thinking and overgeneralization and catastrophizing, which I think most people could probably see what that is. You know, they either like me or they don't. This person has nothing else going on, so the fact that they weren't receptive the way I want, they they don't like me. Whereas, as you said, perhaps they've they're really stressed out about something that's going to happen later that day, and they're just not being their normal selves because they're nervous. Um, you know, and and you've got this chart laid out um, so that people can assess those feelings, which I think is really good because we don't analyze those things that just come into our head, and then we go down. Well, maybe we analyze in the wrong way. If we women are good at that, anyway. Um,
2: but <laughs> yes, but yeah. yeah, we might ruminate <laughs> rather than really taking a close look at the thought.
1: Exactly, the ruminating over this person doesn't like me, and then we go and we ruminate with someone else, and then we kind of uh, solidify that thought instead of assessing what else was going on at that moment. And um, does that person need my compassion? Do I need my compassion? And, and assessing really what was happening. Um, and even if they don't like us, is that personal? Do we do yeah. something, or are they just that way?
2: Yes, yes, that's right. We could catastrophize about someone's not liking us. Well, not everyone has to like us, and oh well.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've, I've seen charts similar to this before, um, and I, I really enjoy them. I think it's really important for us to go through this, you know, especially the The people, the patients that I deal with who are, you know, chronically ill for a long period of time. And it's actually difficult to deal with your emotions at that point. But then when you start to get better, if you don't assess those things that you went through of course you're going to be stuck in in those patterns and um the the mental health is just as important as the physical health when we're on this journey to wellness so i love books like yours that make it you know really easy for us to see that there is a a path that we can go on to change these things
2: Well, I appreciate your saying that, Rebecca, because I I didn't include this kind of chart in my previous book, and I I was torn about whether to include it here. You know, do we need to talk about specific categories of these thoughts? And I didn't didn't invent these. These are are ones that Aaron Beck and David Burns and others have talked and written about. But I, I agree with you. I think it is helpful to have these kinds of categories like, ah, that's all or nothing thinking. Ah, that's. That's catastrophizing to be able to kind of quickly dispatch these thoughts once we've learned what our patterns are.
1: Well, like, yeah, and if you if you can't have a, a word for it, um, it's the same as when people don't feel well, but they actually don't know, say, what anxiety or depression is, which actually happens a lot. It's really hard to understand what you're going through if you don't know what it is you're going through. And it's, I think it's the same with the thoughts. If you don't know you've got this black and white thinking about how that person felt about you that day, you're not going to look at the situation and assess, okay, maybe they needed some compassion because of that, that interview. Um, and and it's important in our lives to I think have that broader picture because what is missing in this world right now I think is that compassion for the people around us and that would probably change a lot of things if just that expanded in everybody's lives.
2: Wouldn't it? I know, I couldn't yeah. say more.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Seth Gillahan. We're discussing his book, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Made Simple. We'll be back shortly.
2: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television?
0: Let us surprise you.
2: Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
3: Everything is energy. It's all connected. Your energy can be seen as the foundation for your life and impacts all areas of living. Do you realize that your thoughts have the power to affect how you show up? Tune in for Healthy Energy with Margo, featuring host Margo Nielsen. Margo and her guests will show you that connecting to your energy is vital to your health, relationships, money, and more. Listen live every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Seth Gellahan. We're discussing his book, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Made Simple. So, um... I, I want to talk a little bit about mindfulness. You mentioned that in the first segment. And, uh, you know, it's a, a common topic these days, which I think there is a reason. Just like what I said before the break, it would be nice if we could have more compassion in the world. Um, how does mindfulness play into all of what we're talking about, you know, our depression, anxiety, mental health? What does that do for us?
2: Well, you know, there, there's a recognition uh, a couple decades ago or more that that uh, the 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 tools of mindful awareness can be really helpful as part of a therapy, and so it 's actually considered the the third wave of cognitive behavioral therapy are, are mindfulness based approaches and acceptance based approaches and and so the big idea is that so much of our suffering, including anxiety depression overwhelming uh, other overwhelming emotions like anger, come because we're, we're resisting what is. We're kind of fighting against reality, and our attention is focused elsewhere. So a common, a common example would be, you know, worry. I mean, worry by definition is about something that is not now. It's something that, that might happen in the future, and so I'm, I'm not focusing on what's happening in the present, and I'm also trying to fend off something i'm afraid could happen. And so a, a really powerful antidote to both of those can be practices of of mindfulness and meditation. So coming into the present, focusing on what's happening right now, which prevents my mind from running away with these kinds of catastrophic uh, catastrophic fears and uh, and also accepting that i can't entirely control what's going to happen in the future, even though our, our minds would really love to, to be able to make sure things we're afraid of don't happen. And so, it's, I've said before, mindfulness practices are they're kind of like sleep in that they seem to be good for, for pretty much everything. There's, there aren't many, many struggles that we've thrown mindfulness at where people don't, don't tend to find a lot of benefit.
1: So um, let, let's um, give an example. Let's say that I'm prone to anger, because um, that was something you, you brought up earlier, and uh, I'm in a situation, um, uh, let's say I'm driving and somebody's cut me off. What would I do to deal with the road rage and the anger in that moment so that I can be aware of it with the mindfulness? Well,
2: so yes. When I, when I think about dealing with, uh, with excessive angry Reactions. I think, you know, anger tends to be kind of a, a hot and a quick emotion and, and an impulsive one. And so we want to find ways to slow things down, to uh, you know, take a, a brief pause, which can, can uh, sometimes help us to, to make a better choice. So in that example, I might uh, take a, a cleansing breath before I act, and even that pause um, might be beneficial and i'm going to want to be aware kind of uh, in in the moment in the present what's happening in my body kind of notice that my i'm having a kind of a sympathetic nervous system reaction that i'm 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 going on high alert and i can can feel that in my body and by starting to take that kind of that that sort of bit of a distancing perspective on my experience I mean, i'm 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 getting closer to it on the one hand because I'm paying attention, but I'm also, by doing that, I'm not lost in the emotion. Maybe I can maintain a little bit of perspective on it and say, wow, I'm really angry right now, and I know it can happen when I'm angry because it's happened before, I and mean, I'm, I'm now me. I'm speaking For personal experience. There are times when I've, when I've reacted in anger. I thought, oh, boy, if I had thought for, for two seconds, before doing that I might have chosen a different response. So those are, those are some of the strategies uh, that, we wanna, wanna, that we can use with mindfulness to, to start to slow things down. And then the, the mindfulness approaches intersect with, with our thinking and our, our behaving strategies where if I've taken that little pause, then I'm in a better position where I can, can think and plan my behaviors in better ways
1: so if if I started to do this program and I was working on a certain emotion, is there um, like what would I expect to experience what What is the journey like over time?
2: Well, so you know initially we're going to define some goals and uh, and then identify what the um, what the treatment plan is going to be, what things I'm going to want to focus on. and then each uh, generally each week, we want to uh, make a plan for the the kinds of things I'm going to want to be practicing, and I mean I think what what most people find, certainly so what I find myself, is that it's it's not an entirely linear process. There are meaning it's not it's not a straight line that's always on the up and up. If we're we're trying to uh, change things or improve things, so there are going to be times when we. We react uh, in, a, in a more help, helpful way, the way we're intending to, and there are times when, when our old patterns are going to come out. And so I think that's a, a, a central part of the work, is in accepting that we're, we're not going to be perfect in how we do it, and that's perfectly all right. In fact, that's, that's exactly what we should expect. So I always encourage a person starting out to, to bring uh, hopefulness and, and optimism and also skepticism. And to say, you know, let's let's see how this goes. We'll try out some new things, and and if I'm willing to do that, chances are that I'm going to get a lot of benefit. But you don't have to be a, a true believer when you're starting out. You just you just try things and see what works.
1: Um, you you know, which I I think is um, very accurate because from from having talked about similar things to this before, um, it. I know it takes a lot of time and um, this is not um, a world where we feel like we have time and um, of course if we're say 40 years old and we're working on changing a thought pattern that we've had since a child it's not going to change in a week it's going to take a long time for us to be aware of that um, so you know I, I just I want to I stress that because you know you're saying come in with skepticism but also come in with the reality of that this isn't going to happen right away so you have to put the time and the effort in to make those changes
2: Yes, yeah and if I could just add I, I think that, that in some ways we may have oversold CBT if we're, if we're advertising it as something that's going to completely change you and completely change your life and, and I, don't, I don't say that to mean that, that CBT can't be life transforming because it certainly can but, but I think that it's, it's important to... I think what I really find valuable about the, the mindfulness part of, of CBT, what I call the B part in my think-act-B approach, is that a lot of it is, is acceptance and you know, maybe accepting that I'm going to feel anxious at times, and I'm going to feel more anxious than I want to at times, and I'm going to have days where my mood isn't where I want it to be, and maybe that's okay. Maybe I can have uh, a life that feels meaningful and, and deeply satisfying, even though I'm going to have days and, and episodes like that. And So, so I don't want to undersell or oversell DBT. I think it's good to, to kind of keep it in perspective.
1: Well, you know, I, I really like that you said that because when, when we're working towards a goal and, and changing certain behaviors or certain things, whether this is about physical or mental health, um, people always tell me they want to go back to the way they were. And um, I have to explain to them that they're not going to because you can't go back in time and you're having an experience that you're learning from and it is going to change you are going to change whether, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to be sick or you're going to have anxiety or whatever it is you're experiencing. But when you get to um, a point where you feel like your life is more under control, it's not going to be the same as it was when, when this started or, or, you know, it's not going to be exactly what you want because we're still human and we have feelings and our health is never perfect. Nothing is ever perfect. (laughs)
2: No, and that's such a valuable perspective that you offer the people that you work with. I mean, to be honest, you know, so publishers usually have the final say in, the, in book titles. <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> I, I, was, I had some concerns with my first book about you know, how, how uh, I mean, it, aggressively, you might say, were, were they going to, to market uh, the effectiveness of this program. And I was, I was really pleased and, and grateful that they described it as a seven-week plan for managing depression and anxiety. I think managing is the right idea. They have said a seven-week plan to cure your anxiety. Like, I, can't, I can't stand behind this. It really it's mm-hmm. about managing things. And, and, and yes, things can improve, but, but you're still going to be you.
1: Yeah, well, and I think if we go back to um, the, the example of driving after an accident, you still might be afraid in search, certain situations, but you might still be able to drive, which would be the difference if you were so anxious you couldn't. Uh, you know, you might still have some of those feelings for a long time until you realize, I mean, I, I can see in some situations you would realize that's not valid, but then you could, sometimes the anxiety could rear up years later, uh, because it still is there. And um, I think that's also recognizing how human we are, that we're not without emotions. And, and we can't go through life without experiencing them, but we can go through life experiencing them in a healthier way and having better tools to deal with them.
2: Yes, uh, Rebecca, you and I, I think, think really really <laughs> along the same lines here. Because if, we're, if we've resolved that we're going to have a meaningful life and we're going to do What's, what's truly most important to us at our core, regardless of challenges that come our way, then I think nothing can beat us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I think if we do this work, um, whether or not we feel like we're in a paralyzing situation or we just want to assess our, our thought patterns, um, it's it, I think it's very common to have at least, you know, a few unhealthy thought patterns just from um, wherever those come from, you know, being alive (laughs) and, um, right. right. (laughs) right? And it's no different than saying, you know, I'm, I'm gonna eat different because I want to be healthier, even though I don't have high cholesterol or or blood pressure, I want to be better. Um, it's, I think it's the same dealing with our mental health that we can take that, to a next step, even if we are well, so that we don't get unwell and, and we can maintain our health or work towards a goal if, if it is something that is in our way.
2: Mm, yes. Yes. You know, somebody, somebody once said to me that you know, she, she learned from her grandmother when, when she was a little girl and they would go to the temple to pray. Her grandmother told her, don't, don't pray that your life will be easy. Pray for strength to, to manage any challenges that come your way and and I really was inspired by that. I think that's that's such a, a useful way to think of it and I think any any therapy that that we're doing might think of that way as a way to help us manage what comes our way and and not necessarily to make our lives uh, completely easy
1: yeah I- well, you know, I always tell people if they were easy, we wouldn't grow up. <laughs> you know, we we wouldn't yes. we wouldn't have any lessons to learn. If you uh, you know, good examples. If if you never got um, lost an appointment because you were late, and they always fit you in, you would never learn to be on time. So we have to learn to have certain behaviors, and those those are done by trials, and some are harder than others. Um, but I think it, it's really important for us to to be able to do that with the compassion for ourselves and that awareness of of what is going on in our own minds and around us.
2: Yeah, maybe maybe what we're talking about is is being able to find uh, maybe moments of ease even when things are not easy. I think maybe Mm -hmm. that's a
1: a I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where what I'm trying to get. Um, so Seth, I, I've enjoyed our, our conversation. Um, your book has way more information in it. So is there a way that people can get a hold of you of your book if they want more?
2: Yes, definitely. So you can find me probably most easily on my website. Just my first and last name, SethGillahan dot com. There are links there to my books. You can also go to Amazon and do a do a search for, for my name to find my books, or if you put in cognitive behavioral therapy, I think uh, these books are, are some of the first to come up. And uh, earlier this year, this summer, I started a podcast. It's called the Think, Act, B podcast. So I've got uh, several episodes up. They're coming out each week, so people can find that through my website or on iTunes. And I have a, a a blog on Psychology Today of the same name, Think, Act, B blog on com.
1: Well, that's perfect. I want to thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Well, thank you, Rebecca. I really appreciate the work that you're doing and the, the chance to talk with you about my work.
1: Well, perfect. Thank you so much. we were talking today with Seth Gillahan, and his book is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Made Simple. Uh, if you want more information about my story, you can find it on my blog site at dr-risk.com. I'm um, also on your favorite social media. Um, thank you so much for listening and just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning
0: in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks.